Hey everybody, this is Zach. And I'm Batman. <laughs> uh, yeah, today we're, we're uh, finishing up our discussion on the animated series, uh, or Batman, the animated series. Um, the first two seasons, I don't really have anything to say about the third one, because it, it came out really, really far after the second season. Like I, I want to say it's like two and a half or three years, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny though, listening to um, another nerd talk about it, because he he was going through the volumes that are in the DVD volumes. Yeah. And so volume three is largely season two within HBO Max, because <laughs> he's talking about like the trial episode, yeah, House and Garden. So yeah, the fandom is definitely a house divided. In, in yeah it's about. it's weird like we were saying a few minutes ago before we started recording i don't know why the production code is so out of whack with the air dates but yeah i, 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 mean, I think we we knew there was a little bit of confusion in last episode but then i was trying to line up seasons one and two and figure out okay is zach actually going to be talking about volume three <laughs> or did we did we talk about volume two and Zach was thinking season two based on his DVD volume? But no, another wrinkle en entered the fold. And Zach was talking from his Blu-ray, mm -hmm. which is somewhat in line with HBO Max, which is why we weren't totally confused Yeah, when we started talking about season one. <laughs> um, I think it would have been more entertaining if Zach had been watching the, the DVDs and then I was talking about volume two last episode because Zach would have been thinking, oh, that would have been season two. Oh, right? the DVDs are another level of insanity. The um, because it's Warner Brothers and they were they were maxing out their their income on it. They uh, they released them in packs. So kind of like what Adult Swim used to do with with Aqua Teen Hunger Force and, and regular show where it was like, um here's the the villains dvd collection and it's all the episodes where villains were introduced like for the first time wow so like <laughs> what how do you <laughs> how do you go about comparing those here's all the ones yeah. that have to do with the cold here's all the ones that have to do with the fear <laughs> wow yeah even better i guess um, this is what this is what happens when you have something that's uh you have a bunch of production folk and there was accolades given to this show yeah you know when it came out and whatnot but it was still viewed as like a children's show so there's nothing holy about the order and i, I get it in the sense that other than like the re the repeat episodes like you'd want to see you know um on leather wings before uh you would have terror in the sky you know, or well, you'd want Heart of Steel part one and two before you get to his Silicon Soul. Other than that, they're yeah. pretty like independent from each other. Well, I mean, just from a, a lining up all of your downstream businesses idea, like, you know, He-Man came out way before that. Well, I mean, not way, 10 years before this. Um, They still followed production code for the toy line 
right? Because you don't want to introduce a toy in a brand new costume and it hasn't aired yet. <laughs> yeah. Then people are going to be exceptionally confused. So I would just think from them wanting to streamline the more money that they can make down the line, they, they would keep better notes and, <laughs> you know, match it up with what's coming out. Speaking of the toys, the uh, uh, strong childhood memories, these uh, BTAS toys, and um, just how well that art style lended itself to toy production was always pretty oh, interesting. You know, because they could kind of mold things and they had large shapes. You yeah. know, there wasn't like tiny details. And as long as you got the general shape there. Oh, yeah. I, I remember, you know, they're, they're pretty... Uh, pretty on point in that regard other than uh the crotches that always weirded me out it's how smooth it was just smooth it's like a smooth cylindrical crotch and i was like batman's gotta be packing you know <laughs> he's got he's got he's saving the bit the biggest batarang <laughs> inside those tight shorts and they exactly. just like smoothed it out for him it's kind of like what they did with um what is his name? He's in he's in Legends of Tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, Brandon Ruth, when he was playing um, Superman uh, for the, the, the one that came out around where, where Lex Luthor is played by Kevin Spacey. They yeah. apparently had to spend a significant amount of budget um, digitally depackaging him because apparently his dick is so big that it was offensive looking to screener audiences even with like dance belts and stuff that you would use in any costume <laughs> they had to spend money cgiing it down so that it wasn't as noticeable well you gotta think when he's uh when superman's descending from the sky like yeah. that's the first thing you're gonna see like just this giant exactly. crotch slowly <laughs> landing into frame yeah you got the feet oh the feet are all smooth and then the boots and then boom this big bulge <laughs> in your face as it lands and then you stop looking at his face yeah yeah very distracting <laughs> yeah but uh let's let's talk about some Mimi me's before we we jump into it i've, I've got a couple of things mm -hmm. um, and and mine are actually thematically on point for the most part because i read a shit ton of comic books um, so I, in the future, I don't think that I'm going to fall for it because it was really just a let's reboot the DC universe type thing is, uh, I read through the, the dark Knights metal, death metal and Batman who laughs lines. Mm -hmm. They're pretty fun, but they're not really dark enough to justify being on like marked for mature readers or whatever. I don't think. Um, it's mature for like if all you've read are DC comics yeah sure I'm I'm the Batman who laughs is a creepy serial killer so yeah like that that might spook some people but I don't know I don't think they're very good <laughs> um, yeah I feel like I wasted my time because now it's like oh well we're just going to reboot the universe and uh, I, I think when they were doing it what it was leading into was um grant morrison's multiversity thing which is actually a really cool comic book if you've never read it um 
but I don't know. I, I can't really recommend the metal death metal or Batman who laughs because like metal takes place way before multiversity and then death metal takes place right before multiversity happens where, where mm-hmm. all of the timelines kind of collapse into one, one thing. Um, but it's, I think that there are some, some issues missing from, from what they've packaged together because it's just such a weird jump to go that far in the future where they're just like, yep, the baddies won. Now, now wonder woman and green lantern are basically wardens in dark sides, <laughs> planet um it's just very strange how how they decide like I, I i don't know what it is with dc comics and warner brothers particularly that they they can't keep things in a right running order or do things that make sense like do you get that feeling when whenever you've you've cracked open one of the more recent dc books uh i mean it's it's at the point where i don't I don't know which reboot I'd be potentially be diving into based on a particular line of comics. Yeah. Um, and then, so you'll hear someone say, oh yeah, this Batman Who Laughs arc is pretty interesting. And if you've read something that's either before or after in a period, because then you hear, oh, this other arc's really interesting. And then the timelines don't really line up yeah. based on um, events and stories. So it's... Uh, it's difficult. It's kind of like um, if you had a uh, the ability to rewrite an assignment that you've submitted, like online, and yeah. so you just you just hit the rewrite button, and you're like, no, 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 let me do it again. Let me do it again. It'll be good this time. It'll be good this time. Um, and I get it. You know, they they don't want to have to carry around the continuity. Um, in some sense, I imagine that would be kind of difficult if you're like 12 issues in and then you have to deal with like five years beforehand um you'd be like oh this character's dead or off grid and i really wanted to use them it's like oh okay well just give it some time we'll reboot it or yeah and whatnot so it's a bit of a minefield speaking of like mature uh i mean not a not a kick but i mean how how young does the age of the average comic viewer comic book reader skew it's got to be older now because i would assume all, all, so. all the young kids i know are like playing roblox and fortnite and other things they're not really going to comic book shops yeah um, um i mean in 2022 statista did a poll and let's see the average is 20 to 24 years old. Yeah. That's got to be, that's got to be skewed up. Yeah. Comic books really aren't, I mean, not that there aren't ones that are designed for kids or don't have that in mind, like a younger reader base, but yeah, the reader base skews older now. Um, it's kind of like, you know, train sets and, and whatnot and uh yeah you know just the fan base is older because it's it's a generational thing sort of in time again you know not that there aren't younger readers out there but just the idea of having a mature line 
Um, well, the average monthly spend, according to this, is $468. So I'm imagining that there are some either pretty significant whales, or that's the average of all the people who responded mm-hmm. to this survey. Yeah. 468 a month. Which makes a... me think that, yeah, like there may be only 8% of people who are aged 40 years old plus, but like they're the ones yeah. that are spending, you know hundreds of dollars a month i don't know how you could do it now because a lot of the single issues are what 4.99 mm-hmm. some of them come out twice a month it's like jesus christ yeah that's a lot to spend on a single issue i just wait for the trades to come out <laughs> yeah. i'm interested um yeah it's not like you need to keep up unless you're you know you're hanging out with other folk who are deeply into the comic line and then yeah also deeply into like the line that you're in or the kind of things you like to read so then you could kind of talk about them as they as they occur yeah um anyway it's just a just a thought that popped up well like i i I think i'm i'm less interested going forward in the the more generalized audience that, that, Mm -hmm. that they're targeting for it like I'll still read Batman comics, but like, oh, so for the the next thing that that I did, it was reading through the uh, Batman line that Sean Murphy did. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know anything about that line, but that one is definitely for mature readers. Um, it's kind of like what Ed Pisker did with the the X-Men Grand Design where like he he took all of the storylines and kind of jammed them together to make sense mm-hmm. as one continuity and so in the murphy verse what they're calling batman like there's there's three or four volumes out now um there's one coming out that touches on batman beyond it's coming out later next year mm-hmm. um or later this year i think um and yeah, they're they're really interesting. There's there's the reveal to kind of make everything make sense, kind of like with the the three Jokers that we were talking about last week. There's two Harley Quins, mm-hmm. and Joker just didn't notice because he doesn't really notice Harlequin at all, <laughs> or Harley Quinn at all. Um, so one of them is the wacky like gymnast, and the other one is the super smart ex psychologist that is not like athletic or gymnastic or whatnot. <laughs> hmm. Um, yeah. They bring in some Azrael uh, storyline. Um, that crazy bastard. I, I, I love Azrael. He's so nuts. <laughs> that crazy son of a bitch. Just religious fervor. And I don't, I can't remember from the um, Breaking the Bat storyline how Azrael became the new batman but his version of batman was pretty badass looking yeah um pretty violent too i think oh yeah like his there were several people in that line that before i mean and this is way before they rebooted everything but like they were banking on the fact that oh batman won't kill me and Azrael's just like i'm not batman <laughs> <laughs> So there are some rogues that, that get wiped out, um, I know, from, from the Breaking the Bat line. Um, 
you know, probably lesser ones like KG Beast or whatever. Um, I also read through the Batman Contagion line. I don't know if you remember that. It's it, They've collected it all in one volume now. But I remember reading that. That was the first big line that I got sucked into as a kid. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah, because it there's a bunch of weird body horror stuff in there because it's it's a plague. I probably should mm-hmm. not have read it in the middle of a pandemic. So, um, yeah, like I, I want to say if I remember right, that leads into the event that leads into No Man's Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is an interesting thing I, I i read the book that 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 they novelized the comic line in but i've never read the actual comics for no man's land but um contagion is is odd because they change they were in the space where they were changing up artists and writers so so frequently that none of the art styles match there are these huge jumps in what's going on in the storyline and you'd think it would just be oh well okay this is in the huntress issue so we're just going to show what huntress is doing during this but no her line matches up with whatever was going on with etrigan and hitman (laughs) but they had they didn't uh release those yet and so you don't get their side of the story until later in the volume because they they have it structured based on release date which is very weird (laughs) to do Um, and then I guess the last thing, and this will date when we're talking about this, but, uh, just yesterday or what is today? The 29th, I guess two days ago. So on Friday, um, GoldenEye 007 got re-released on Switch and on, uh, Xbox. Oh yeah. I heard playing it on Xbox. (laughs) It's really funny how how different the first person shooter genre has changed um since that came out because like i went to play it and i'm on like super baby easy mode and like i'm i'm stuck on facility (laughs) (laughs) um usually what gets me is that area with the scientists i will just fire blindly down the hall and it'll go, nope, oh, you failed. You've killed too many civilian scientists. Come on, Zach. Which you gotta, to me, you gotta get good. Well, to me, I'm sorry. They're scientists working on chemical weapons. They're not <laughs> civilian scientists. They've they're chosen hostages. a side in this. <laughs> no, they're obviously hostages. They don't have guns. That's I guess that's supposed to be the distinction. Yeah. Don't shoot um, the people without guns. But because because could you imagine uh, Pierce Brosnan going through right uh, in in one of his iterations of movies, specifically you know that one, Golden Knight, and hitting like a scientific base and just murdering everyone indiscriminately, like you're talking about, like shooting I mean, all the scientists. That's what would happen? <laughs> they can't they can't make chemical weapons if their makers of chemical weapons are dead. <clears throat> Yeah, but um, we're talking about Pierce Brosnan doing this as as the supposed yeah. and that the tone of those movies specifically, him yeah. just going in and murking everyone. <laughs> like you're changing the whole tone of the movie there by doing that. Um, like 
like your version of Pierce Brosnan is like killing the bellboy. He's killing like the security guard out front. The janitor's getting murked. Everybody here is getting murked. Wrong day, wrong time, wrong place. <laughs> totally different, uh, yeah. like spy iteration there. He's not. He's just like a killer assassin coming through. <laughs> he's not a cool, sexy spy. He's murdering everyone. Yeah. So that's that's probably why you they tell you you failed there, Zach. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah. No, I mean, well, and, and it's funny. I I remember playing those levels as a kid and being like, "Wow, these levels are so big." And mm-hmm. then now it's like, oh god, like I could, I I'm pretty sure I could hand draw out these levels like to scale mm-hmm. <laughs> on a single piece of paper. Like you know, they would not be very big. Um, yeah. But it's funny, my wife was was walking around. She's just like, how are you playing? I was like, I don't know. Rare is owned by Microsoft. I, I guess that that's why it's on Game Pass now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's everything. It's the music that, that fucking rocks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, but, but she was just like, oh, yeah. Does it have multiplayer? And I was like, I'm sure it does. She's like, do you want to play? And I'm like, I don't know. Do you want to get a divorce? <laughs> like, it just seems like a bad idea. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. No. 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 I, I'm. I'm sure at some point we'll play multiplayer. I, I was just joking. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that although... would be from Zach rage quitting after getting too many headshots. <laughs> so it would be yeah. like, "Fuck I'm this no game and fuck this marriage. I'm out." <laughs> uh, I haven't looked to see if they've added like CPU um, bots like they did with Perfect Dark. Although my guess is they didn't. Yeah, it's just probably to keep everything. A one-to-one yeah yeah um so yeah that's that's me just a bunch of comic books and a, a video game that i i dove way down into yesterday for way too long <laughs> yeah that's nice i i'm trying to i rented that game when i had an n64 from blockbuster and i think i do remember beating it i remember enjoying it quite a lot yeah um because it was there wasn't a lot of exploratory FPSs of particular note that I remember on the N64, at least that I had access to. I did have Doom. I had Doom 64, so that that qualifies, and that was a pretty solid game. Doom 64 Um, was awesome. Yeah, I also had the strategy guide, so I had all the secrets and stuff. There's like... uh, The double chainsaw from that one that yeah there's awesome <laughs> yeah and there's a bunch of cheat codes and stuff you can utilize uh or you can teleport to certain levels so you could just go to like the last boss um yeah. and uh fight him there's like a really cheeky secret i think uh that when you first poured in on the first level if you turn around like really quickly and like head towards the back wall and like press a button there's like a secret thing there mm-hmm. um so they it's a really great version of doom um I, I guess i would say like a remix um but it uh definitely had an impression on me as a young person <laughs> so same thing with goldeneye i remember playing that i don't think i really got to play multiplayer um there might have been one instance where i went over to like some kids I knew from middle school or high school or something. And we had like a session or two. Every playthrough of N64 games with multiple people 
always seem to happen though in the hottest room imaginable like <laughs> we're in florida like it's the middle of uh, you know fall uh the parents are like cheaping out no one's running ac like the windows shut the door is closed the n64 is just heating up the room like a toaster yeah. in front of a big cathode ray television <laughs> inched up close to it and just sweating and just playing a game which i don't know if whoever's listening to this may be too young cathode ray televisions uh put out a significant amount of heat the longer yeah. you're on. So it's Hot. like you're adding a toaster inside of an oven. Yes. And I also and getting you know, close this, to the toaster. This is Florida <laughs> as well too. And it's just ridiculous. Like your sweat is just combining with the natural humidity yeah. of the area. And you're probably in an apartment complex that in the center of it has a pool that's just baking in the sun as well. So everything's just hot and miserable. I do Ugh. remember being in Florida, like whenever I would, would visit my wife um, in, when she was in grad school, and it was just the wettest I've ever been, just walking around outside. <laughs> yeah, just a, just a thin level of moisture on <laughs> constantly. You just, you just have to be really comfortable with sweating or you just spend a lot of money on AC. That's why yeah. I moved out. It's well, it's... it's it's funny. One of the things that she remarked on is that like it, it was noticeable because, again, she was in grad school. So she would like mm -hmm. bike to work in the morning, bike home from classes in the evening. And like not a knock on her, but she must have smelled terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I think she was leaving early enough that it was not like an issue because she was so smelled flat. terrible. Um, <laughs> the humidity early in the day, the condensation for the dew. Yeah. It, it regardless one like one of the things that she pointed out that I noticed too like walking into businesses it, it is Florida has a very different definition of what's like business stress mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. they'll they'll be fine at least with with ladies they're fine with like sandals mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah people yeah, wear right. sandals year round um and you're just like walking up staircases, just looking at dudes' feet just all day long. All day, yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> God, I hated that about Florida. There's some good parts, but man, that heat is ridiculous. Yeah, um, anyways. Ridiculous. I see why old people go there to die. Uh, yeah. They just want to be warm. Yeah, they just want to be warm as their corpses grow cold. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Anyways, um, so uh, maybe me. Uh, I said I, I don't really get much me, me, me. Uh, yeah, I figured not. <laughs> the the uh, the me, me, me is not me. It's uh, it's my my young, very young daughter. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, she can uh sort of sit up now, kind of. Um, she falls down a lot and oh. she makes a lot of noises. She likes the sound of her own yell. Um, so she. <laughs> started to yell a lot when she's got energy and i did buy a guitar classical guitar that i'm trying to get set up properly oh. um it's by this builder who builds them in um arlington virginia hmm. and uh, he's a 
hobbyist. It's not his main thing that he does. So sure. there's a little bit of quirks with the build style that kind of what you really wouldn't expect in someone who does it for like a living. Like the finish isn't perfect, but it's not as bad as I've seen on um, like real, real hobbyists. This is obviously someone who's, you know, done a lot of it. Um, finish isn't perfect. Um, fret ends are a little sharp. I may have to send those down, but that, yeah, that could be humidity, but I've, I've, I've spent some time humidifying it and, uh, it didn't seem to improve it. So I think it may be a quirk of the build. One second. Let me grab my dog here. <laughs> Well, while while he's doing that, I I will vamp a little. Um, yeah, no, it's it's really weird how how much and how little uh, guitar setup you have to do occasionally. Like generally, you think the more money that you spend on uh, a guitar, the less setup there would be. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just the the component parts cost more, and so you have to do things like shave down the frets, adjust the action on the bridge, all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all related to, this has been through two other owners other than me, one of them being in Washington. So if they had any kind of real dry heat, that would cause an issue. But yeah. I, I really think it's more just the, the setup of the instrument originally, just because I did really humidify it and there wasn't other signs related to like extreme dryness. Um, so I think, there, his setup for what they had was just a little higher than what I'm used to. Oh. Um, and it had really high tension strings on it too, which I I don't really enjoy unless it's really set up for the action. Because usually classical, the action is a bit higher. Yeah. Um, just to try to get the instrument to project a bit more, people raise the action higher. Right. And you have a lot of concert um, guitarists that do that. You can get the action lower and you can use high tension strings because because of the high tension they vibrate less they just oscillate in a smaller area right um so that makes sense but like high tension high action unless you're just going to be practicing for hours a day one it's kind of hard on your hand um and um, i can imagine because like I'm, I'm imagining every classical that i've seen and like you almost have to play it with your hand in a c-shape like yeah yeah it has to be you have to have a particular arch in order to uh reach the fingers it's very much not a blues thumb wrapped over sort of position um just imagine like if you had a bass with high action and then on that bass you were trying to play chords on it it would uh it'd be rather (laughs) difficult (laughs) so um yeah, I put lower tension strings on that thing, and um, that seemed to help out a lot. It's very warm, and um, I tend to like a lot of clarity, a lot of high end. So I may have to change out the strings to something um, like they make. There's all different kinds of strings, but carbon strings, which are slightly different in composition than nylon strings, are thinner, and they have a little bit more high end. Um, could be a little less sustained, but I think. You can mitigate that if you go to the lower tension. So my project for the next week, whenever I get five minutes of alone time, is to try to take a look at different features there 
and um, just get it kind of dressed up. But, you know, it uh, wasn't very expensive. And I used the sale of um, a keyboard that I had that I wasn't really using in order to fund it. So was it the big one that you got a, a while ago? Yeah, was... yeah, it was the big one, which I got because I sold. I got that one because I sold a, a silver face Princeton that I had. Um, so I sold that silver face Princeton. I got that keyboard and I thought I'd get that keyboard. Um, and then I could play with headphones and things like that. But the issue with that is like with the keyboard, I'm locked into a position and having yeah. a young baby, I have, I have to go everywhere. So I can't right. bring it to her room if I'm watching her. Yeah. But if I have a classical guitar, I can go over there and watch her and play it um, and still be a really full experience. Like I could do that with maybe my acoustic uh, that I have or with one of my arch tops. Um, but the arch top really comes alive when it's electrified and it has that. It's not primarily an acoustic instrument. Yeah. Uh, mine, because it's not made to be made to be one. So it's, you don't really get the full experience of playing the instrument, but if you have a classical one, it's not super loud, um, very portable and, uh, you get the full experience while playing it wherever you are. Cause that's, that's it. That's the whole instrument. Yeah. <laughs> so with, uh, with the child all having the parts to it. <laughs> yeah. That's all the parts and you can get a full experience playing something and, um, you know, you can kind of play it late at night. Um, pretty much from anywhere. If you're trying to play like distorted blues guitar, um, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan style, you can play that late at night. And I can't do that in my garage, but it's, I can only do that in the garage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can't really move around for that. Yeah. No, you can't uh, stand outside the baby's uh, nursery and blast out some, uh, some root and fist. Some pride and joy. No. You cannot. Uh, yeah. You know, unless you want, uh, you know, your wife to play you consternation and sadness right after. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's kind of my, my guess. I just want to play some music, so I just have to do what I can um, to make that happen. So it's, it's kind of necessary for my sanity. Um so that's been my kind of me, me, me shot. I watched the first two episodes of uh, The Last of Us. Oh, yeah. Uh, interesting. Um, yeah, that'll, that'll probably be done. That season will be done, and Zach will put that on his to-do list to watch, and it'll be like four years later, and he might be taking a look at it. <laughs> no, Possibly. I don't think I'll ever watch it, and... <laughs> this will open up an old wound. Um, well, wait, uh, wait, wait. On that, there's... Keep on. I got something to put in there. Okay, so Naughty Dog needs to just make TVs and movies because that's why I never finished The Last of Us game mm -hmm. because I got about a third of the way through it and said, I'm going to see if this ends the way I think it does because I think it's going to end a certain way. And I look it up and sure enough, it ends a certain way. <laughs> I'm like, mm -hmm. well, I'm done. I'm not playing this. Like, this is so railroaded. The thing is, though, like, it's meant to be a cinematic experience game. And like, for me, with that critique, you don't have that hang up with anything else that you watch that's super predictable. Like, eh. 
You really don't. Cause like you watch a lot of stuff that you know what it is you're going to see <laughs> and that's why you're there and you could go by the numbers, but so you don't I think have it's that. Games specifically mm-hmm. that do that because like I did the same thing with, um, uh, dishonored, like mm-hmm. both of the dishonored games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and generally a video game, you can, you can see, where it's going right especially for like yeah single story you know yeah yeah. like it's just when it's so heavily railroaded that it's like well i don't feel like i have any choice here (laughs) yeah because like you know the ending of what like in an arcane game Mm -hmm. um like dishonored or death loop or whatever but like Mm -hmm. there's so much variability in how you get there Mm -hmm. it's different like it still feels like a game where something like Last of Us or Uncharted to me mm-hmm. is just like, well, do you want to hit the button a few times? <laughs> yeah, but there's While there's definitely a, <laughs> it's definitely a crafted experience. Yeah, like yeah, you know specific beats. People are going to have generally similar experiences playing the game. Um, it would depend on like if you wanted to be more stealthy or not. Um, if you were playing at a different difficulty. You, you'd get more items, more weapons. So it's 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 about really commitment to that experience and like, yeah. oh, okay, show me what you want to show me. It's a bit like... Uh, yeah, which isn't you, me shitting on anyone that likes that. Like there are lots of... I mean, it's won multiple Game mm-hmm. of the Year awards. So like, what the fuck do I know? But mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think it's a... Like, I'm sure the television show is awesome because it's mm-hmm. they, they have good writers and they know how to tell a story. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say the game's probably a stronger experience for me than than the show. Um, mm. And I think I think there's there's a difference of approach I think between myself and you for games like that. Because with games like that, I want to be if you're going to show a particular experience, make put me into the story. Yeah. And put me into the story and involve me in the story in a way that only a game can. Um, because you're playing through a narrative and there's a level of commitment and engagement with it right. that isn't passive. Like if I'm going to fight, like if you're watching a battle, you know, or a fight between two bad guys in a movie, you're just sitting on your ass, you know, yeah. you're not really doing anything. Uh, you could eat a sandwich. You could lick your fingers. If you have a fight or a really tense scene in the game, like where Joel's hanging upside down and the clickers are coming after him, and you're, I think your controls are inverted because you're upside down and you're trying to aim a gun, that's a tense moment that you'd experience within a film, but you would not experience it the same way as when you have to play that oh, scene. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's, you're getting put into a narrative in a way that's so intense that you just can't do in other media. And so that's, that's the strength of that narrative. And, and as an aside, you could craft something where you'd have multiple branching, you know, choices and whatnot, where it would take the narrative different place. One, uh, depending on how you want to do that, you're making multiple games because you have to put in different environments, you have to put different cutscenes. Oh, yeah. So it's it is possible to do that to give you someone more agency in a single player yeah. story experience. Um 
that one, it's really hard Two, then you have to, you have to put up, okay, how can we make it? So in this branching narrative storyline to give the player more agency to that, if they do a, and then they do B, but then they decide to do E uh, and K that when they get to uh, T, it still makes sense. And it still has dramatic impact. Fucking hard. It's possible. Um, but it'd be really fucking hard to keep that all together in that way. Um, again, there's no, that's like a two sides of the extreme. You could do where there's a couple branching choices and then it's a little bit more easier to manage. So it's not a binary thing. Um, but the way they sort of set it up is, yeah, this is the narrative we're going to tell. Yeah. This is the way you experience in for me, I really value that because I get to experience a story in a way that no other medium can tell a story. Um, and I would rather have that so much more than, okay, give me the end objective where I need to shooty shooty people so I can get to this end thing. And <laughs> Same. let me shooty, let me shooty shooty. Uh, and then, oh my God, this stupid cutscene. Let me just get back to the shooty shooty. Um, whereas with me, I want, I want an experience that's intense like that. And even in the horror genre, like with you know, Resident Evil, you're getting a lot of that because you have a specific experience that you're going through. Um, there is agency. You know, you can move around and whatnot, but they're hitting certain beats. There's a certain kind of experience. Yeah. And... I, now, I will say, to stop you for one second, uh, mm-hmm. Resident Evil games tend to be nine to 10 hours, not 30, like the Mm -hmm. 30 hour mark. That's excessive for as little agency as I have is, is mainly my critique with it. I mean, even dialogue trees would, Mm -hmm. would give some agency and you don't have to really redesign anything, but it, it, I don't know, like 30 hours to me, like that's a, that's a big ask for as little agency as I have. I mean, you have you have your hands on the controller. What more agency do you need, my man? You can go, you can go whatever direction you want. But again, it's like it is I mean, they could make narrative a version focused. Of it, theoretically, like the mm-hmm. the Netflix interactive films, where you could just hit a. Button. I haven't fucking watched any of those, but they are an interesting concept. They are an interesting concept, but I'm just saying yeah. they could have designed the game like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I mean, you get the same thing with like the Uncharted games. It's the same oh, yeah. kind of yeah. sort of structure where yeah. they have a specific story they want to tell. And this is the way it's going to go, um, I guess. Yeah. And like, that's my criticism with those games too, is that they're, they're almost self-indulgently long for what mm-hmm. they are. Like the, the genre of game that they are, like they're, mm-hmm. they're extremely long for, no reason other than hey let's jam in these other locations that we can take nathan drake to i mean they're long so you get to enjoy those uh those other scenes like if i'd paid 60 and i had a 10 hour long nathan drake game uncharted i'd be kind of pissed um (laughs) i don't know i don't know what it is different styles of different folks for games but um that's what i enjoy don't like Naughty Gun. No, to be fair, I generally don't like their style of game. Like even Crash mm-hmm. Bandicoot is one that I bounced hard off of as a kid. Well, Crash Bandicoot was fucking hard. 
Um, <laughs> uh, watching my wife beat that game now uh, on current gen was still like there's oh, with the reduced hitbox where they were like, yeah. hey. <laughs> Not even the reduced hitbox. Also, the the landing mechanics were changed. So I think uh, yeah, no, I, that's what I meant more. Is yeah. the um the 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 what counts is you actually clearing the jump. <laughs> yeah, and I think that had to do with some kind of conversion issue with the logic in the brief time that I looked at it. it was like, wow, why is it so no, hard? That, to that land is props this game? to her. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm looking at the games they've put out: Crash Bandicoot, Jack and Daxter, Uncharted, and Last of Us. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I. They just don't make the type of game that I like to play, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, and I guess for a game like, um, like I've gotten free versions of, um, what is it? Uh, Not Doom. Uh, What is the other one? Oh, that... uh, No, no, that pseudo pseudo nazi killing game um you're killing oh, nazis um, wolfenstein. wolfenstein yeah yeah i maybe played a couple minutes out of one uh, and i was like okay you don't cool. have to play yeah <laughs> <laughs> um really I mean, it's it, how how much do you want to commit to to playing this game for 12 hours <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and i guess um at least for me, that's really it. Uh, I think I like games that are self-contained like that hmm. to where, okay, show me a world, like immerse me really deep. Um, and because te- it's, I guess if, if I had more agency in the story, that would be fine too. Um, because I've played games where you make choices and they have a specific impact. Um, but I guess I just don't really need that as long as like I'm enjoying the ride. Um, you know, I kind of view it as like a roller coaster. Like I'm not going to have my hands on the wheel on that thing. Um, <laughs> or, um, you know, like a theme park. Uh, there's there's not really any agency I have other than, okay, what what kind of, how do I want to move through this? But this is basically what's here. Um, but am I going to have a good time? Yeah. I guess for someone too, who really prizes and values like uh, character agency, you know, like someone who regularly DMs games, uh, <laughs> having narrative agency, even if the characters aren't going to make a good story, I think you value that more, even if yes. it's like, you guys are just doing bullshit and you're not even going for the story that I laid out. Here's the very clearly defined story goes off in opposite direction. Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> guess I we're think... going to go to the carnival instead, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. On, on a, something that you would have designed as like a, an interesting side bit, like a detail. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, this isn't fleshed out. I just mentioned this. You're not supposed to go over there. It's like uh like there's cardboard cutouts over there. So now that you've went over there, I'm gonna have to flesh this out extemporaneously. Where I had to figure out how to have a character um sway ex members of a cult so that they could have their own cult. Yes. <laughs> it's like yeah. how do I do this? Uh 
see yeah. you guys next week i guess yeah <laughs> yeah i think you have a lot of value in that whereas like yeah, I, I mean rpgs are are generally the types of games that i tend to stick with mm-hmm. yeah yeah that makes sense i mean it's still a great game yeah um, oh, no, i'm not arguing that it's that it's not i it's just one that i'm like eh. i think i'd rather watch the tv version because it's all there like what are they going to change and how see that's the thing though for me the tv version isn't the same even with the same story i'm not engaged in the same way like because i'm not in the environment like i'm not able to move my head and explore i don't get to kill a clicker like the way i do in the game and go like oh shit i ran out of shivs because i really wanted to open that locked door earlier and so then i'm experiencing this world from a very like intense immersive sense and i guess that's the thing too like um if we're running like an rpg game for me i would want and it's almost contrarian to like that whole uh the schema that's implemented there i would want a really carefully crafted like experience um within that rpg and i'd i'd value that more if they told me a really good story and i got to be involved in that story and make choices than if i could just make oddball crazy ass decisions because i could i get to do that in real life okay yeah. <laughs> so i've and i guess it's just a value of yeah. uh, placing value on different kinds of experiences because yeah. i really value like okay show me something really intense take me along um, I'm strapped in, um, whereas, uh, what, what, what other kind of games? Um, so for me, like, uh, like a first person shooter game or like a multiplayer experience doesn't have that same draw. Some of that kick is like, oh, I get to like get these headshots and these kills and I can have like a really cool team experience. Um, and I guess it's more, uh, maybe more effortful. I guess you have to be engaged with it in a different way. Yeah. And yeah, I just don't, I don't really find that as enjoyable. It's just like, take me along um, and get me really involved in what you're trying to show me. Hmm. So, so the TV series um, follows so far very largely from the game. And I gather that's what they're going to do. Um, but it just makes me want to play the game, honestly. Um Pedro Pascal is great. You know, um, the first episode largely follows from, they introduce some other little bits of canon uh, related to like how the virus started and they change up, um, you know, how it sort of propagates. Like they don't really have spores in the... um, the TV series, uh, I guess the the one of the directors or producer creators was also had to do um, Chernobyl, and a lot of main characters in that show also have to wear like gas masks and hazmat suits. Yeah. And he said he, he found it really difficult to tell a narrative when the characters are like covered up and you don't get to see their expressions on their faces and things like that. Right. Um, and and I, def- I definitely understand that. Um, I think you can, like, if you have a character 
like in the last of us game when you're playing it and the character's wearing a hazmat suit well you have the environment you have the spores there you have the darkness you have the sound in your ears as you're playing the game you have the agency of moving around so you're engaged in the story with different elements doing that whereas when you're watching it on a screen very flat sort of experience you know as far as like you can't move through the environment they're moving through the characters telling you the story with their face and their expression yeah so i definitely see that um why why they would want to do that um so for me like this kind of story survival horror i really love and it's not really survival horror but there are survivors and there is horror um, yeah. within the last of us universe. And that makes up a, a large bit of it, especially if you're playing it on the, the harder difficulty where you have less supplies and you have to like manage your resources. <laughs> so those stories and those kind of games, I'd love both. I love them in game form and also in, in a cinematic form yeah. um, in game form. They're so rare to get really good experiences like on a high triple a level that um i'm just drawn to them like a like a moth to a flame so so far i'm, I'm still going to watch the series and enjoy it but they're keeping pretty much the same story beats so far so there's not really a lot of surprises in that regard and some of the scenes while great i i think they're honestly just done better in the game just because there's that buy-in uh for the one thing in particular um, and again, one experience doesn't have to be the same as the other experience. Sure, um, sure. But uh, like the scene where Ellie and Joel like see that um, like see that giraffe, and they're looking at the cityscape, and Ellie goes like, "Oh man, like you know what a what a beautiful view or something like that, or look at that view," you know. Um, in the game that comes after like they've just like escaped some like difficult periods um you know um quite a bit of like trauma and so that like that sunshine they can just capture that really well in the game environment and that giraffe is just like fucking awesome and comes out of nowhere um they use that line in the the show there's no giraffe because it's fucking expensive to cg yeah it's not they're going to bring up like a real giraffe and they have this fake ass giraffe. It's just going to look really weird and take viewers out of the experience. <laughs> and the sunshine is pretty. The view is nice. Um, I think it's more well lit, you know, um, but it doesn't have the same kind of impact that it does for you in the game. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's going to be a lot of that with me because it's like I already experienced this story. Um. And watching the show is like almost like reading like a picture book of the story and someone else is reading it to me. Like it's like secondhand because yeah. I feel like I've lived the story while playing the game. Gotcha. And now while watching it, it's more just like I'm watching the story, yeah. you know, like a flatter dimension. Um, I'll still be there. You know, I'm watching it every night it comes out, but um yeah, it is. Uh, it is. It is a different experience. Um, like the scene where uh, you know, spoilers for a game that's been out since 2013, 2014, yeah. <laughs> um, where uh, Joel's um, 
you know, early love interest, like sacrifices herself. And I think that scene was done really well because they, instead of using Fedra troops, they just have it be more of, you know, the uh, Cordyceps zombies that are yeah. there that are attacking them. And um, that's a little bit cooler. Um, but the performance there and kind of the tension by the time you get to that section of the game, like you've faced your first clicker, you're like, Oh shit, this is terrible. Like you've had to escape from them um, through that museum building. And then you get to this point here and then it's like, Oh yeah, that character, she's going to die. You know, she's obviously infected. And so we get to that in the span of two episodes, which I guess you could get to that point that quickly maybe by playing the games if you ran through it but like there's beginning sections of the game where you're facing like clickers and like some of these runners i forget what they call them um who are a lot more active when they see you you know visually and so you can take on your first playthrough you can take a while to get through that section so there's just you have more of the game experienced by the time you get to that section and i feel like a little bit more engagement with the characters where whether when you're watching it in a two episode arc it's like oh i just got to know this person and they're gone you know you haven't spent hours up to that point um and the same thing with other things like uh yeah so i think i think overall i'm gonna prefer the game to the show quite a bit um just well, because it's think- yeah i've seen it already and you know this is kind of not as i'm not as clicked in so well i do think the meme floating around about it is funny where it's like last of us sucks as an adaptation why hasn't there been an episode where joel dies for four hours in the same spot and then considers getting a refund yeah (laughs) get good scrubs just get good (laughs) but yeah there's sections where like fuck man uh, I imagine, I don't know if the sniper section is three quarters of the way through of the game, but that sniper section can be tough. Um, yeah. when you're trying to protect, I think Ellie starting up that car and like people are running at her. You got these, this home, uh, all these homes that are dilapidated and like these bandits that are trying to get to you. Um, and there's a couple different time jumps too in the game. Yeah. But I don't know how they're going to handle them in the show, if they're going to do that that same way. I would imagine they would do a season break, because this is, what, going to be an eight-episode thing? Yeah, yeah. They talked about... a season break. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting, because I, I think they, uh, the producers of the show said that The Last of Us Part Two, Season 2, is going to be in two parts. So I'm not sure if that's going to be two arcs of season two or that means we're gonna we're gonna handle part two in two seasons two and three uh which there's a lot there and i don't i don't care if people don't like part two it's it's a great game it's a great narrative um i've heard it's it's better um it's better than the first one than the first yeah that's that's the one critique that i've heard of it that i'm just like that's odd it's weird that a sequel would be better than the original but it is in in the sense that you have a little bit more agency um 
you have more varied environments. Um, it's really great. It's like, um, I watched my wife play most of the game. I haven't actually gotten to play it myself because reasons. Um, uh, like the, um, you get to see different environments and meet these other characters and you get to play as a whole nother character, Abby. Yeah. Who, um, spoilers guys for a game that's also been out and talked about quite a bit. Yeah. For last of us part two, Abby kills Joel. Yeah. Um, very early in the game and it is such a gut punch and i get i get people that are really impacted by that scene but that was kind of the whole fucking point yeah (laughs) it was for it to be a gut punch and for it to really fuck with your expectations well yeah because you don't do that unless you make it matter and my understanding is that when you play as her like it's it's to drive home the point of of yeah, like there's a reason she did it. Like she's yeah. following through with her character arc. Yeah. Yeah, they fucking killed all, you know, a whole bunch of people that were important to her as well. Um and so it's like, okay, who's the villain from whose perspective? Yeah. Um and they really drive that home cuz you get to play both perspectives. And the first time you're put into Abby's role um as, you know, this is your agency, you have to try to keep this character alive. I mean, you got to do it whether you want to or not, because you yeah. got to play the game yeah. if you want it to have it keep on going. So you're forced to experience this other person's perspective, even in the sense that you'll experience past events that led up to that moment, um, and you'll get to see them. Um, I mean, Ellie ends up uh, killing uh, like Abby's like main love interest. Yeah. Um, in just like a like not really super intentional way um and just like trying to protect herself and also that dude has this other girl pregnant and ellie ends up shooting that chick too um and you know of course the baby dies you know everybody dies um and so you you really get to see oh okay well this is why she did that um and yeah she really fucked him up yeah um and it, it makes sense in that perspective. So it's really powerful storytelling. I think that's, again, like the first game, really best experienced by having the agency of being in that character and experiencing it. And you you become motivated to help that character move on and and move to this next goal because you understand how important it is because you also experience it. Um, and so the game's really great in that regard. And I think it was really, really sort of um, bold uh, to take that, that tact to like kill um, Joel, you know, a, a character that people lived in, you know, for the first game and were really, really rooting for. Um, and you feel that sadness because you feel Ellie's sadness in losing Joel. Yeah. Because you lost Joel too, because he was your vehicle for experiencing the story. And yeah. you really clicked in with his motivations. So your loss of him is experienced a lot like Ellie's loss, obviously not the same way as it would be. But you have that, you know, investment. And um, so I don't know if the show's really going to be able to do that for me in the same way. Um, so, because you basically have a 30 hour experience truncated into eight hours. Um, so we'll see. Um, 
Pedro Pascal, if they really stick to it, uh, he's going to get his head smashed in for the second time on on a big character. Uh, it's the mountain in the Game of Thrones, like it's, smushed his eyeballs and brains in. Well, it's it's funny. I I wonder when they do uh, part two if if they. I take it this is a hit, and they're going to continue with. The oh game. yeah, they've already greenlit season two. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be very, very funny when those viewers who may maybe not have had a chance to play the game, um, or don't know anything about the games, when Pedro Pascal dies, and then the rest of the season is focused on his killer <laughs> and trying to make you empathize with his killer. That's going to be a tough writing job. <laughs> I do not envy them. I really don't. Um, I I mean, and that no. actress, whoever has to like play her, I don't envy that person either. You know, the only criticisms I've seen of the, of the show are ones that I just immediately just disregard because they're mm. all along the lines of like, well, she doesn't look like Ellie in the game, or she's too old and it's like she's like 19 what do you mean yeah she's, she's all of 19 old. guys i'm sorry they didn't give you like they didn't jail give bait. you your 14 year old character or 15 or however old ellie is in the first yeah. game but like come on like if that's your criticism like fuck off <laughs> yeah uh so just to remind you guys this is all make-believe um in storytelling like you remember when you were like on the playground with other kids and you were like playing pretend this is just the adult version of that, okay? So I you don't take it seriously. People, because <laughs> and and not that I've heard of them doing this to the staff, but like the types of fans that like mail in death threats to writers' rooms and like yeah. video game designers and shit. It's like, mm. okay, uh, <laughs> yeah, like why why would why would you do that? <laughs> Yeah. it's it's all for fun why 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 would you take it and then ruin that yeah jesus well like with you know cyberpunk 20 2077 where the the I, I think i've said before in an episode like if it were me and i were running that studio uh due date be damned i would be like okay we're not releasing this until you motherfuckers stop sending us death threats yeah <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna hold we're gonna hold you hostage now. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you say we talk about uh, Batman the Animated Series? Yeah, I guess we could do that. Okay. Um, so, yeah the the main thing that I want to say is in this this back half, um, there's a whole lot of like weird furry stuff injected into not weird. Um, it's it comes out of nowhere because I don't think necessarily of Batman being a hero with a lot of like like anthropomorphic animal characters associated with him. Yeah. But like there's cat scratch fever <laughs> and then tiger tiger. <laughs> um and then there's what is the other one? Moon of the Wolf. Uh, all just kind of in the same like three or four month period. Um, I don't know if it was for Halloween purposes uh, or what. I mean, I know Lynn Wein was a writer on some of these episodes, like on Moon of the Wolf. Um, and, you know, he did uh, Swamp Thing and X-Men, I think. So, I mean, I can kind of see where it's coming from. 
um, especially if they're they're people who are adapting comic lines that they that they wrote earlier, like in the seventies, <laughs> like like mm. in the case of Lin Wing. Um, but I think it's just it's an interesting turn for them to take to just suddenly anthropomorphize animals and be like, "Yep, this is in our show set in some nondescript time period between the '30s and the '70s." <laughs> yeah, but they have the technology to create artificial intelligence and also transform humans into giant wolf things. Well, artificial intelligence, but in like room-sized vacuum tube computers. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. I I love that idea. I will never not like the idea of two two disparate ideas that have just been smushed together. Like super intelligent AI and then warehouse size IBM mainframe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hardak. R.I.P. Hardak. Or like the Master Mold and and X-Men, where it's just this thing that can just generate I, I guess through 3D, 3D printing, other gigantic things, but he can't get up and move around. He's just kind of stationary. He just <laughs> looks cooler chair. that way. <laughs> he just looks kind of like like your dad, who's just like really powerful. Yeah, like the dad meme, but doesn't want to get out of his chair. You know, <laughs> he'll yell at you and be like, "Hey, don't do that!" And you're like, "Oh, okay," but he's not going to get up from his chair. He's he's going to stay seated. <laughs> <laughs> but he's just sitting on his throne kind of like that yeah. wow so in in your um in the blu-ray tiger mm-hmm. tiger is in season two right is uh right? no it isn't season one it's in season one okay okay you just yeah, wanted no, to t- make comments tiger tiger i i meant the the back half of the the episodes that we're oh okay we're covering which i mean i guess it makes sense that they did tiger tiger with man bat because if i remember right one of the characters i think is somehow associated with man bat um uh, i remember seeing a scientist that was repeated um yeah because the the whole tone or the whole thrust of that episode is kind of weird to put in a kid's show because Catwoman just kind of gets kidnapped by this doctor because his man-cat hybrid that he's been working on needs a mate. Yeah. that They need to proliferate across the planet, and he needs a giant <laughs> kitty for him to bone to make other little kitties, I guess. Yeah, it's just a weird thing to include in a kid's show. It's just like, well, I'm going to kidnap some woman and throw them to my medical creation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't really care too much about tone, and I think I think maybe it just has to do with the um, I don't know the the nature of Batman, and I guess maybe parents of that time wouldn't really critique it too hard. I'm yeah. like, oh, it's a story about Batman. I mean, what can it have in it? I remember yeah. Batman. Oh, it's damsel in distress. She's kidnapped, and it's like, yeah. Do you know? Do you know why she's kidnapped? <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna follow up on why. <laughs> yeah, no, the implications. Parents are too busy for that shit. Uh, we're just, <laughs> we're just gonna be happy that the kids occupied, and we just have a moment of peace. Um, <laughs> they can, they can watch whatever. And like the current generational version of that is, oh, there's pedophiles on Roblox. Oh wait, but is my kid occupied? Are they not bothering me for a couple hours? Uh, they'll be fine. 
hard right fascist uh, (laughs) sympathizers in Roblox building like reconstructions of the Roman Empire, but super fashy. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Roblox is what you got to watch out for, guys. Yeah, it's no longer Minecraft. Got to keep up. Crazy shit. (laughs) Uh, Super crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, the. I think it kind of fits in with that is you can have serious storytelling implications um, like perchance to dream. I mean, he basically commits suicide to get out of there. Yeah. He, and that's how he escapes. That's exactly the kind of storytelling nugget that parents would rail against. <laughs> Today, but as yeah. a, as a kid, I, I knew it was nuanced. Like, oh, he's not really killing himself. He's just doing that to get out of here. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think storytelling like that is just able to kind of like slide through. Or Zatanna, man, that Zatanna episode, uh, they they stuck to the character. She's just all legs. Um, <laughs> I remember that being being a thing when I was a kid. It's like, oh, what is this? Apparently I'm into fishnets now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't know, but now I know. <laughs> it's, the, it's one of those th- switches that gets flipped in your head. Yes. <laughs> the seed has been planted. Um, and so, I mean, she's smart, attractive, and knows like magic. Okay. I know my type now. Um, <laughs> so it's like, Bruce Wayne, you, you should still just, uh, yeah. I mean, I know you're supposed to be all moody and stuff, but this is a dime piece. And in the actual DC universe, like she knows magic, yeah. like legit, like magic, magic. Yeah. Um, so I, I understand to cut on the realism in a world that has invisible characters. She couldn't know magic because that just yeah. that breaks the boundaries <laughs> uh, where you have Ra's al Ghul coming back to life. Yeah, it's. I was about to say with the Lazarus pits. Like, if you don't want magic, why do you have the (laughs) Lazarus pits in this show? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, um, almost got him. I think is another favorite of mine from the back half of season two. Um, it's. I don't know what air date it is. I think uh, air date is November of ninety two. So that was aired fairly close to to its airing. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's start rather, but production code wise, it's episode forty six. Um, I really like this one because it's it's just it, his rogues gallery apparently getting together for a fucking poker night. <laughs> apparently, it's just a regular meetup, um, and they all share share stories about how the one time that they almost beat Batman. Oh yeah, no, I saw that episode. Um... I'm trying to see. Oh, there it is. Almost there's got a it. there's yeah. a um a, actually a card game based on this. It's that they made a couple years ago where it's it's one of those hidden identity things because the whole twist of the show is that one of them is not the Rogues Gallery. One of them is actually Batman. <laughs> They're being raided. Um, oh, okay. But but the uh, the card game is is kind of like coup or. Um, uh what is it the resistance where where someone is a traitor and you don't know who and you have to figure out what role they're playing yeah 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 for me the most interesting almost got him was definitely two faces like sticking batman on a giant penny uh (laughs) it's just so freaking ridiculous 
Um, yeah. And then where he gets loose, and I think he he's able to jump off the penny, and then it lands, and it ends up like I think hitting some bad guys or something. I'm like, oh, those guys are dead now. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to remember. Especially uh, if it's scene. actually copper, like that much copper. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> what I love about that detail is. You know, from earlier episodes, I'm pretty sure you see the penny in his Batcave. So even the Batman was so fucking impressed by this giant penny that Two-Face tried to kill him with. He's like, I mean, he tried to kill me, but this is really fucking cool. Like, think of the logistics. How did he, he had to go back? Out? Did Bruce Wayne buy the building it was in and then he like airlifted it out? How did he how did he hide that? Did it cut into sections yeah. and he reassemble it? Or did he go back to a like an active crime scene and then just like commandeer this giant penny and just drive it through Gotham to his mansion? <laughs> and like what? Like you a think giant some questions would be asked at some point. Yeah. Did he like put it on one of the blimps that they have available and just like fly this fucking giant penny through the sky? I gotta say, we haven't talked about it yet. I love the airships in this. Yeah. I love that it's just the world where the Hindenburg never happened. And so we just kept going with Zeppelins. <laughs> yeah. Even though they do explode here as well. Like I think in the. Uh... Yeah, there's one where I think Joker or Scarecrow is like. Scarecrow, yeah. Toxin mm-hmm. the city and it, it mm-hmm. blows up marvelously <laughs> yeah exactly like you'd expect like a giant flammable balloon blow up yeah um <laughs> and it's like oh well they still put flammable air in here they haven't learned their lesson okay yeah um there's other ways to do this guys um so yeah almost got him i think it's great um mudslide th- is one that i really liked as a kid um again i love body horror um mudslide the whole purpose of the show or the episode is that clayface starts falling apart like he starts just kind of turning into mud (laughs) and Mm -hmm. he can't hold the consistency of his body together anymore um and yeah the 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 whole purpose of it is that he's forcing one of his friends to to develop a uh, a remedy to that Mm -hmm. It's just really gross and fucked up, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, that that is a particularly cool episode. I like his um, that solidified form you see early on, where it's like humanoid shaped. Yeah, and he's kind of shiny. Um, he's almost like latexy, like everything's just kind of being held in. Yeah. Um, and I, I gather that's part of his uh, treatment setup. And also. I mean, he- Ron Perlman doing his voice is fantastic. That's exactly who you want yeah. in Clayface's voice. But you say like his friend, it felt like a like a, a romantic interest as well, like that scientist chick. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe. Um, I mean, they that, they, that they hug, been... they hug quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I think the implication is, you know, he's uh, he's clay and he's soft, but he's he's definitely hard when he needs to be. You know, um, <laughs> exactly. even as, even as a child, I'm like, okay, he can make any shape he wants. Uh, he's, he's basically, <laughs> he's a whole adult store in, uh, in just one, one giant gooey creature. Yeah. I bet she likes, again, this is being crude, but I bet she probably prefers like his smooth humanoid form 
but still like the ugly toad clay head when they have any I kind love of activity. His ridiculous face. He is so good. He looks like a pumpkin, like just like had sex with a toad. That's just been kind of melting in the sun for a few days. Yes. Yeah. So good. Um, and he can mold himself to all kinds of shapes, but his teeth are still all fucked up. Um, fucked up teeth is like a villain which thing. Is, which is weird. You'd, you'd think that... Yeah, like I, I don't know why he wouldn't just... <laughs> Make his teeth fine. Although that's kind of more disconcerting to see that monstrous toad pumpkin fucked head mm-hmm. and then like beautiful like teeth. Beautiful teeth. <laughs> beautiful teeth. <laughs> yep, that would be really terrifying. Yeah. Um sort of similar to the uh the, the original Sonic movie debacle. His teeth are just in his mouth. Just too perfect. What is wrong so with you guys? Weird. Yeah. And um, the thing about that is that multiple people saw that and, and we're probably working on that and no one said anything. <laughs> I bet it just came from above. And like, can you imagine the guys that are, because there had to be somebody there who was like, this is just fucking horrendous. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to spend the next 10 hours today looking at this face as I animate like the motions the and gum just line. like yeah, slowly die inside. Uh, having to look at this horror um the entire time because that's got i mean you work with something and you could visualize it in your head so that person spent weeks and weeks and hours and that initial image is burned in their mind oh yeah i mean it's why uh warner brothers had to pay for psychological counseling for the artists for mortal Kombat. yeah yeah i I I am interested in seeing some kind of uh whatever rough because i think it's not even like a rough cut it's a pretty burned in cut of uh the original sonic uh, movie that would be interesting to watch yeah someone has to have it out there if i have the 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 work print for uh uh pro or uh x-men origins wolverine Mm -hmm. someone has an original sonic version floating around out there they have to um so some of the like the season two i think people would behoove us to hop onto some of those so i got well one last one from season one but yeah then we can go on to season two is i have uh harley and ivy Uh, i think that's a standout episode especially since they've continued that on today where harley quinn and poison ivy are romantic partners yeah yeah the seed the seed was planted there yeah, like Joker, and I can't remember because it's been a while since I've seen it. Is there an implication that, in, like, on top of firing her, that he beats her as well? Um, I well, I think she, they had it to where um, it was an abusive relationship. Yeah. Um, he does kick her out, and then he says, oh, "Okay, you know, every time in the past where she's gone, like she's come back." Um. And so, I mean, that's that's the telltale of like an abusive relationship. Yeah. Off off the top there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just love the Sel- uh, Thelma and Louise quality of this episode, where they're just like, "Fuck it, we don't need no man," and just start this gigantic crime spree. <laughs> yeah, successfully. Yeah, yeah, successfully, like way more than the success than than Joker has had. Mm-hmm. 
at this yeah. point. I mean, they uh, they capture the Batman. They just about damn near kill him um, as well. Yeah. Um, and they do so with, with a plum. Um, <laughs> yeah. You get to see on on um makeup harley quinn as mm-hmm. well which uh is interesting because i think even as a child i was like wow she's actually very attractive um, yeah <laughs> i mean stereotypically attractive so i yeah. don't know i don't know what she's doing with the joker he's insane very insane oh yeah well i mean even in comic lines it's like if if you read the comics it's like Huh, I wonder how she got with the Joker. He he looks like a jack in the box. So mm-hmm. <laughs> like why? <laughs> what what about that is attractive to you? Yeah, in the show, um, the Harley Quinn show, which um I don't think is for everybody. I, I don't I don't think if you're like a super diehard fan of BTAS, you'd necessarily like the Harley Quinn show. Because it's a bit more modern in structure, with like a sitcom kind of feel. But there's um, there's like Easter eggs. There's like fun stuff. That initial um, poison ivy monster that Batman almost gets fed to, like an iteration of that, is in the Harley Quinn show, and he's like a talking character. Like he's a oh, main that's character. Cool. Yeah, and he's he is cool. Um, and Zeus shows up in the Harley Quinn show as well. Um, and he's just as fucking stupid, even more so, um, because he's, he just really thinks he's Zeus and he's got this, and here, I think he's got this, uh, shorter house in the BTAS. It's like this giant, he's living on the top of this giant skyscraper kind of thing. Um, and so there's Easter eggs and stuff related to, to kind of BTAS and, um, even the way that Poison Ivy tries to counsel, um harley quinn to be like you know you're too good for this guy you know why why are you doing this that's the same kind of you know operational um counseling she's trying to do yeah so harley quinn and the harley quinn show so i enjoyed the harley quinn show so it's not for everybody um but it was entertaining really interesting joker arc in the harley quinn show as well which i won't i won't spoil for anybody well, see, now I, I just, I know because it's the final seasons of them, I, I don't know how to get them because Warner Brothers is not printing them. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Doom Patrol 3 and uh, the Harley Quinn season 3. Mm-hmm. Like, they've wrapped, but no word on whether they're going to get a physical release. And it's like, well, shit, are they just going to delete these? No, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's been pretty successful, so... <laughs> I think it'll be on HBO Max because um, I'm, you know, I'll watch the next season when it comes out. But anyways, talking about BTS. Um, oh, yeah. So you said season two will um, season two starts off production code wise with Sideshow, which I really like. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, Killer Croc uh, escapes um, into the wilderness while being transported to prison. And then Batman has to track him down. Mm hmm. <laughs> Like you do, uh, but but uh, you know, Killer Croc's background is in the circus, and he mm. happens upon a bunch of circus freaks. Which, again, I I really have to call into question the geographic landscape of Gotham City and where mm. it is, because like a day south, they have like these these like 
steps and plateaus and also swamp. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then also random circus freaks that are that are hiding out in in a swampy area <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um, that's relatively close to Gotham. Like I, I would assume it's in the same state since he's being transferred to a prison upstate. Yeah, I think you have to view Gotham in this universe kind of like a Candyland board, where there's just like yeah. random different regions like squished up together. Like Chocolate Land shouldn't really yeah. be near like the peppermint uh, lane or whatever. Well, like the other weird thing is is they specifically say, yeah, we're transferring him upstate. Mm-hmm. I don't know of any state that has swamps in the upper part of them. Yeah. <laughs> very strange <laughs> lovely love it um, i've been talking a while though what what are some some favorites of yours uh trial i think uh was really great made an impact on me um that one basically there's a regular antagonist who is of the opinion that batman is a Kind of like how they do with the Dark Knight, where he's um, uh, an antagonistic and also like a catalyst for creating this rogues gallery. Hmm. Like if Batman wasn't in Ar- uh, in Gotham, like we wouldn't have an Arkham full of, um, you know, homicidal maniacs. Um, like we wouldn't have a Joker, we wouldn't have a Penguin, uh, a Two-Face, like he's... The catalyst for creating that and so this uh i forget if she's a lawyer or like um an investigative reporter i can't even remember her name but um she's of the opinion that he's responsible for that and batman ends up in a trial because he's captured by the rogues gallery yeah um to determine you know whether he's guilty of creating each of these uh so they all go through in in turn joker is the judge and will preside over the ruling which is perfect for joker um which <laughs> is also something they wanted to borrow for um the dark knight rises um for the nolan thing but of course you know unfortunately heath ledger passed away so they had to um, pivot over to scarecrow but joker would have been perfect for that as a judge so you see him here and um you have these characters telling their sort of origin stories that we're familiar with and then talking about how oh you know batman was responsible for me doing this and the defense attorney for batman is actually this this uh i guess she's a lawyer legal representative who is who was the one that was arguing that batman's responsible um but then in the cross-examination like it kind of dissolves as like a a clear cause and effect relationship it's like well i mean did did batman tell you to line up and go like with the joker uh you know talking to harley quinn you know did he make you commit these crimes uh same thing with two-face like well obviously it looks like he was trying to help you all along um and he was trying to save you from like this illegal thing that you were doing and you got your face burned off yeah. Um, and then he ended up saving you, you know, keeping you from dying. And so one by one, it kind of goes through that. And it's like, oh, well, actually, Batman isn't really responsible. All of you are responsible. And then that 
that other character who I don't I don't think appears again at all, at least in BTAS. Um uh you know her she's convinced oh okay actually batman isn't responsible like gotham is better for him here because otherwise they'd be overrun by these other other characters um you know from his rogue gallery and um i think it's funny the joker rules him like not guilty which i think is just hilarious um because i think he just maybe he just does it to be contrarian um, but then, of course, they try to kill him anyways, and he's able to escape. But, um, you know, you kind of have these silly circumstances and situations like, why would his rogues gallery put him on trial in this way? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. But it makes for a really interesting episode, uh, you know, dealing with this uh, this concept of this faux trial that is obviously, you know, rigged, not in Batman's favor, right. uh, while still having to argue. Um you know, in his defense. Um, yeah. So another instance where you get like some of his rogues gallery of characters and seeing them interact is just really entertaining. Um, you know, having the Mad Hatter and the Joker in the same room. Um, that is a very funny little detail. <laughs> this yeah. like, huh. <laughs> These guys just are able to like interact because they all have the same commonality of hating the bats. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, a, a common shared enemy there. That's a great one. Um, Sideshow was great. Um, the Bane episode was interesting. Mostly the thing that sticks in my head is, um, other than the character of Bane, his transformation at the end when he gets disconnected from the Venom. Yeah. It's just really grotesque. It, it his, really is. His eyes just like bulging out of his head. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like similar to the uh, the Joker laughing gas thing that happens. Well, it, you um, know what it reminds me of is um, the animatronic doll of Arnold Schwarzenegger um, mm-hmm. at the end of Total Recall when he's... <laughs> yeah. When Can we also talk bulging? about with, uh, with BTAS... What's here is season two, I think, gets split into volume three, and then BTAS in the title screen is actually set up as Batman, um, you know, the adventures of Batman and Robin. Uh, And they seriously thought, like, and this is where I just don't understand, like, the exec mindset that, okay, well, we want to make Robin a more central character um, because he's younger and that'll bring in more younger viewers because they'll have Robin to relate to. Um, and so let's make him more of like a focus. I've never been a ninja's and, before. So like, I don't know what to. <laughs> and it's like, they, they think that kids are like so simplistic in like their likability. You've seen this several times where you'll have like a good series, you'll have a good something. And then in like the next iteration of it, they introduce like a kid character, uh, like in uh, the Mummy, yeah, um, where like they have his son, because it's like, oh, there's the hook. Like mm-hmm. kids will be able to relate to him. Got And even story. as a, even as a young person, I'm like, kids fucking annoying. Yeah. Um, there's no relatability there. Um, I like this because it was cool. I like Batman because he's cool. I don't yeah. care that he's in his 
mid upper thirties or lower forties. I don't give a shit how old he is. He's freaking <laughs> Batman. Do I like Robin because he's younger like me? No, because my tastes and stuff are not that shallow. <laughs> like even as a child watching this, I oh Robin, he's young like me. Like the the executive disconnect between actually how a kid thinks and probably like how another human being thinks. Yeah. It's just so strong sometimes. Well, you know, it's funny. I was reading, and this is related, I promise. I was reading um, Mel Brooks's autobiography that came out, and mm-hmm. um, he was making the point that, yeah, it's irritating. You have to take notes. These people are, are like, if they don't have anything to say as feedback, they're in danger of losing their jobs. So they will give you bad ideas <laughs> because they've got to have something, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so apparently the way he, Mel Brooks used to make movies is he would he would write down very seriously every objection they had every. Uh huh. Yep. Nope. You won't see that again. We'll cut that scene out. We'll cut this character out. You won't see him again. Yep. 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 Write it. Write it all down. Five minutes out of the meeting. Next trash can he saw. Throw that legal pad in the trash can. Yeah. <laughs> and continue on. Yeah. Um, it's just that Paul Dini doesn't have Mel Brooks's pull, so he can't get away with doing that. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, it's so frustrating when you hear stuff like that. Now, and there's there's a couple really good Robin episodes. Um, so it's not Are like there? they didn't... I don't think I have any on my list. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked about them last, uh, last episode. Um, the two where Robin's trying to find uh, the dude that killed his dad, Robin's Reckoning. Part one and oh, two. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So those are like some strong episodes. Um, and I think the um, the second appearance of the Scarecrow where he um, infects like Robin's roommate and Robin has to get over like the fear toxin himself. Yeah. Um, and he's like shaking and it's like really difficult. And apparently I think the idea is that uh, like it's going to work his way through his system I feel like um, I can't remember if originally Batman developed like an anti-venom to that, but I think he just had to work through it because he also had that traumatic experience where like he's seeing his dad in the sky near the Zeppelin, you know, yelling at him. Um, So it's just like, you just got to man up through the fear toxin and that's just the only thing you can do. Yeah, um, all you can do is just fucking nut up and, and yeah. hope and pray that your strap's yeah. down somewhere and you weren't going to yeah. run through something, yeah. Nut up and shut up. Like in that, you know, Batman almost uh, gets burned alive, you know, because he's just so paralyzed by fear uh, from the fear toxin initially. So season two, uh, Baby Doll is an episode that really sticks with me as well. Um where they have that uh, really tiny actress who suffers from some. Oh yeah, the Shirley Temple-ish one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a case where uh, you know Batman takes care of business, but still is sympathetic enough to kind of understand um, you know why her experience is so distorted. Because basically, Batman is broken, right? Batman is a broken person. No one dresses up as a bat and like beats up dudes on rooftops and is all like put together there. He's obviously messed up and all his villains are messed up as well. 
So it's almost like he has to go out and like punch people as a form of therapy to keep them from doing bad things. Yeah. And he's not going to kill them, you know, um, based on his own ethos. But he also understands that they're motivated by specific things that make sense to them. Right. Just like he's motivated by things that make sense to him. Even if Bullock doesn't understand why a dude dressed as a bat gets to go on, on the crime scenes um, and his friends, <laughs> friends with the chief of police, like Bullock's position here kind of makes sense. Like, what is this dude doing? Like he's so out of like judicial purview. Um, it, it just calls into question like the whole legal system here. Yeah. Um, so baby doll that aside um you know has to do with uh you know this young uh well this person she's in her 30s now who had some prominence um you know as a child actor but she's basically because of this genetic condition i forget what it's called it's a real thing but it doesn't doesn't work like that i think um at least that particular um condition and she just stays in that form you know, Hyper looking like small child. Yeah, yeah. I think it like affects the organs or something. Um, well, there's that um, influencer that has a show. I forget her name, but but there's a. She had some some sort of uh, brain cancer when she was a child, mm-hmm. um, and so she's in her like late twenties now, but she looks like she's eight. Mm-hmm. Because it just, yep. yeah. So, so um, that is a thing that happens. Yeah. 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 Um, I think just like hyperpituitarism has different effects and it isn't exactly like that effect. Like that other thing where you are kind of small is like a different condition in any case. Um, so she's stuck and then, you know, she's trying to try to restart her career. It didn't really fail. So then she basically kidnaps people to try to do a reboot of the original show. Yeah. Um, to kind of capture that time and um, being stuck in the past, you know, that's something Batman understands very well. And, um, you know, he catches her, she lashes out and, you know, it kind of ends up, he just embraces her. You know, she comes close. She's like crying. He just like hugs and pats her head. Uh, Someone who was, you know, trying to shoot him, you know, just a couple of moments before, but she's out of ammo. So, Um, so that's, that's a pretty solid episode. Um, I don't know of I like anything. The ter- well, I like the terrible trio. Um, oh that's my god! Where <laughs> you would you would like the terrible trio? Well, like so, the whole point of it is is Batman kicking the shit out of his rich buddies or out of Bruce Wayne's rich buddies who decide yeah. to become master criminals because what do they got to lose? <laughs> yeah, they're masters so like... of the land, sea, and air. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> It's so dumb. It's like, it's like the uh, those guys that the Joker kills in the uh, in that standalone Joker film with Walking uh, Phoenix. New head cannon. Those were exactly those guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's like um, those guys, but, but they decided to be criminals as well and wear yeah. stupid hats because that's well, what they would do. Production code wise, I like the one that comes after it too. It's another really goofy, weird one where the Joker just steals an atomic bomb. <laughs> Um, but you get more insight into Harley Quinn's character, which is why I like it. Um, mm-hmm. because Batman and Robin have to, um, 
get her to help them figure out where he is with it mm. um, so that they can stop it. Because Harley is still irrational. Like, detonating an atomic bomb is a line I don't think she would cross. Yeah. <laughs> based on what we know of her character. Yeah. Um, it's a little much beyond fun. Yeah. They kind of redo this, not... um not entirely, but there's a there's a, a a DC animated movie called Batman and Harley Quinn, um, where Harley is out of prison and reformed and working as a waitress somewhere. Um, mm. She <laughs> ties up and um, has has sex with Nightwings so hard that he feels broken and the bed is broken um but they they enlist her help to track down the floronic man mm-hmm. uh and and poison ivy um yeah no that that one's actually a really funny movie i mean it it can be kind of grating because they're like look how adult we're being because this is an r-rated movie <laughs> you know um but it's still fun. It's the one where the uh, the gif of Harley Quinn um, farting in the Batmobile mm-hmm. rounds. I don't know if you remember that, where Nightwing is horrified at the stench and Batman's like, smells like justice. <laughs> no, I'm not familiar with that. You're not familiar with it? No. Batman and Harley Quinn. It is hilarious. I'll have to look that up. Um, another standout for me... Uh, not even really because of the episode, um, but just a single character. The lion and the unicorn with the red claw. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Red claw is actually really, really cool. Do you I know mean, who does her voice? N- no. Um, uh, Kate Mulgrew. Um, okay. She did. Um, she's Captain Janeway from Voyager. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, no, red claw is really, really cool. I mean, that was my first introduction probably to step on me kind of thinking. I was like, wow, that is a big <laughs> lady. Mmm. She's strong. Um, uh, I can't think of anything else that really... Uh, I mean, I didn't get to uh, watch all of season two. So I got to just go like, oh, things that I remember. Things that you remember. Yeah. yeah, things that I remember uh, being um, particularly strong or leaving like a memory. Um, um, Harley's Holiday is another one. It's production code 81. Um, it's Harley being released from jail, again, written by Paul Dini. Um, mm-hmm. And it's got the feel of like a 1930s or 40s like like comedy, like W.C. Fields comedy, because she, she gets released from, from prison and is like just back in 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 uh, society and has this misunderstanding at a clothing store um because she's got to get new clothes uh and then there's just this spiraling out of control nature that that just reminds me of like either a three stooges or a um, wc fields film from about that mm-hmm. time period but that's that's the last one on my list mm-hmm. <laughs> at least um because I again I, I didn't do any of watching for season three. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty much a, a bullet for Bullock. Um, 
It's probably the last one I'll talk about. Um, oh, okay. That one's uh, where basically like Bullock's landlord is the one who's trying to murder him. And it's like uh, an investigative caper where Bullock and both Batman are trying to find out um, who's got him pegged. And we think it's set up the whole time that it's this other person who's supposed to be the one that's after him and is trying to kill him. Yeah. Um, but it ends up being his landlord who just like hates the fact that Bullock is I'm sure he has other reasons, you know, just a slob. Like we see a bunch of roaches in Bullock's apartment yeah, and Bullock's like pizza gross. boxes. Yeah. He's gross. I mean, he's wearing the same clothes every day and I don't think it's the same pair of clothes. I think it's just the same, it's the same clothes. clothes. He probably smells like a, like a, a beef farm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so yeah, another instance where, um, Batman saves Bullock's ass and, uh, Bullock just has to kind of, you know, eat it in that regard. So like, okay, all right. You know, cause it never gets to the point of, you know, camaraderie, but there's, as the show goes on, there's still like a begrudging respect between both of them. Yeah. Um, you know, Bullock isn't Batman. He isn't as smooth and suave and, and as graceful, but he does have justice in mind in like getting the bad guys. And that's his motivation. And there's a shared um, similarity with Batman as well, even though their methods are very different. Um, sure. And Bullock. Bullock is, you know, kind of a crass asshole uh, a lot of times. <laughs> An easily goaded crass asshole. Yeah. Yeah. He's not a. It's like if uh, if Homer Simpson was put into uh, you know the Gotham City um, and was just really convinced of, but he got Gothamized. Um, you know he wasn't like innocent, um, but he still uh, you know had that kind of bumbling nature. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Okay. Well, uh, in that case, um, we'll see you guys next time. Um, I'm sure we'll be talking about something where Richard will be like, God, why are my friends with Zach? Man, it's uh it's it's across the bear, but you know, one that I'll just proudly keep on keep on driving along. Oh, well thank me. you. It is much appreciated. Yeah. yeah. It has its it has its merits, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well yeah, we'll uh see you guys next time. Uh, stay frosty. Stay going. Beautiful. Bye. I'm Batman. Bye.